All right. Well, we are starting a brand new series called Heroes, and I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of the word hero. Um, I would think, typically, we don't think of ourselves as that, and we don't think we could ever be uh, in hero category. Um, and we, maybe you think of heroes of the faith. Um, maybe there was someone in, in your past, or you think of people in the Bible that you would say, man, those are heroes of the faith. Maybe you think, you know, uh, Hebrews 11 just comes straight to mind, heroes of the faith. Uh, maybe Billy Graham comes to mind, hero of the faith. And uh, it, it seems strange to me that uh, we're not that far away from a generation that when you say Billy Graham, they're going to say, who? And uh, I was like, man, I, I couldn't even, I, I can't even wrap my mind around that that that's actually not probably too far away that there would be a generation that wouldn't know uh, who Billy Graham is, a uh, hero of the faith. And, uh, and I, you know, when I think of heroes of the faith and heroes in my life, I think of my dad. My dad certainly is a hero of the faith. Um, he, uh, you know, the majority of Christians, or people that would, you know, say I'm Christian, um, Think of Jesus as a category, and they treat Jesus as a category in their life. Like, he's one category amongst a whole bunch of categories. Like, I have a lot of categories in my life. Sunday morning for an hour, I jump into the Jesus category. He's a good category, and I pull, that, I pull him out every now and then, especially when I get my back against the wall, and I really need him. Um, and I was thinking about this yesterday, as, uh, actually two days ago. My son, Shane, was jumping uh, in the high jump, and I found myself praying, Jesus, please help him jump higher than he's ever jumped before, you know? And, uh, and then I'm catching myself, and, and like, Jesus was like, okay, Eric, nice, nice. Um, you know, it's just like, I, I, I want to pull Jesus off the shelf to, to get him to do what I want him to do when I want him to do it. And, uh, but... For my dad, Jesus wasn't a category. In fact, Jesus doesn't want to be a category. He wants to be the category. And for my dad, that's, that's who Jesus was. He was, you know, my dad's, he was, he, he was my dad's life. And uh, that was very evident in the way he lived and uh, in the priorities that he had uh, in the way that he served his family and so on. So, you know, uh, that, that, you know, is, I'm so grateful for that. Another hero in my life would be my seventh grade uh, history teacher, Mr. E. Um, we, uh, his name was Mr. Alsasser, but we call him Mr. E. Um, so I've told, told you this story before, but I'll just share it again. Um, seventh grade, you know, I'm all about football, basketball. It's really all, all I wanted to live for. That was, that was you know, uh, I was... I, I just enjoyed it. That was that was my life, and uh, and academics was like that gets in the way of football and basketball is really kind of what all that does. And so I wasn't really too interested in that, and uh, and so I got on the bus and I was going to start my first junior high football game as a seventh grader, which never happened in our school because that was rele relegated only to eighth graders. And so I was just, I mean, I was jacked. I was so excited. And uh, all my teammates are on the bus and the coach gets on the bus and he's like, Eric, you're going to have to get off of the bus because you are on the down list. And, uh, and so I got to get off of the bus, which... Um, in hindsight, was really a good thing for me because it was highly motivational to go, 
hmm, maybe I should think differently about my academics. But I'll never forget Mr. Uh, e. He was like, hey, Eric, um, I tell you what, why don't you bring after school all of your homework that you, you're working on, and we'll just kind of work through it together, and I'll help you. Changed the trajectory of my academic world. He, he taught me how to study. He, he taught me how to, um, to, to, to prioritize academics. He, 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 he changed the trajectory of my life in, the, in, the, in terms of academics and how to go about doing those things. And once I kind of got, got it, you know, off, off I went. But see, heroes see what everyone else sees, but they choose to do what no one else does. And, uh, and, and Mr. Alsasser, for me, he saw, I think what the rest of the teachers probably saw, but whether God called him to that, I, I don't know, or why he chose, I, I don't know. But for some reason, he stepped in to something that had told him he should, he should reach out to me and offer that to me. And, and he did something, none of the rest of them did. Now, they may have been stepping into other students' worlds, and I'm sure they were. But Mr. Alcester was the one that stepped in to mine. But that's what heroes do. See, they, they see everything everyone else sees, but they choose to do what other people aren't necessarily doing. And it's so interesting because the most unlikely people make the most unlikely heroes. Because we, we tend to think, well, heroes are just that's relegated to Wonder Woman, Superman, Spider-Man, you know, Iron Man. It's, it's, it's all of those people, you know. Heroes, you know, God's not going to use average people to do extraordinary things. That's why I want to kind of tell you the story today of a Bible character that when I tell you his name, you're, you're going to be like, oh yeah, I, I already know this story. Um, but I hope there's some things about the backstory of him as we kind of go through it that you're like, huh, that's so interesting because it's the only reason you guys know this guy's name so well is not because he's like, sign me up, I'll go, because he didn't. In fact, we're going to look at it. He protested the whole entire way on the front end and was like, he had every excuse in the, in the book of why he shouldn't be the one um, that God was going to use. And yet, when he finally said, okay, I am willing and I am going to let you, God, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to let you use me, an ordinary individual became extraordinary because he allowed God to use him in an extraordinary way. So, I'm going to tell you the story, the backstory of Moses. Now, um, Moses, uh, when he was a baby, um, the Egyptians were going through and slaughtering uh, the little uh, babies of the Hebrews. And, uh, and so Moses' mom took Moses and took this basket with some tar and some pitch and uh, made it waterproof, sticks it in the, in the river amongst the reeds, and Lo and behold, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river to bathe. She hears this baby crying, 
And, uh, and, and so she sends her servant to find what, you know, where, where is this child at? So they, they look around in the weeds and they find this basket and here's this baby. And, and Pharaoh's daughter's starting to link the, you know, connect the dots. This must be a Hebrew baby that, uh, you know, they put amongst the reeds so he wouldn't be slaughtered. Well, she has compassion on this baby and decides she's going to adopt this baby and raise it herself. But she doesn't want to raise it by herself. She wants help raising this baby. And so she tells her servant to find a Hebrew woman to help raise this child. And so the um, Hebrew, the, the Pharaoh's uh, daughter's servant goes around and she finds this Hebrew woman um, to come and care for this child. Well, it ended up being Moses' mom. She was the Hebrew woman. So now Moses' mom is getting paid to raise her child. Now, don't get any ideas, moms, okay? But, I mean, this is a sweet deal, right? I'm getting paid to raise my, my son, and now my son has access to all of the world's best of everything, the best education. I mean, he's going to be raised in the palace. I mean, this is, this is phenomenal. And, and it was. And, and, and Moses was raised in, in the palace, had all of the riches of, uh, of Egypt and, uh, at his disposal. And yet, when he became an adult, he kind of became curious as to his, his heritage and, uh, and where, you know, his people came from and, and kind of their story. And certainly, I'm sure his mom had spoken to him about some of those things. But I'm sure as Moses got older, he was not, you know, he was relegated to the palace. And, and uh, obviously, they didn't need uh, this Hebrew woman to, to help him anymore. And so, he goes out one day to actually see what's going on with his people, the Hebrew people, not the Egyptian people, but the Hebrew people. And, and he sees this, this Egyptian taskmaster who's just totally physically abusing this Hebrew. And so Moses goes to rescue him, and whether he intended to do this, we don't know, or whether it happened by accident, but he ends up killing the Egyptian. Now, before we get on our, our judgment caps and start thinking, well, that shouldn't have happened and they should do this, nah, nah, nah. Here's what you need to know. This was before the law. There was no law. There was no thou shalt not. There wasn't any of that. So it was everybody for themselves. Everybody just did what was right in their own eyes. In fact, you read through the Old Testament and you see that over and over and over again. People just did what was right in their own eyes. There was no law. Why do you know what is right and wrong? <laughs> because you know the law. You've been so influenced by God's law, whether you have any realization of that, because our laws as a nation have been so impacted by the law of God that we just think, oh, well, that gives us a, a frame of reference as to what's right and what's wrong. So a few days later, um, Moses goes back out, and this time he finds a couple Hebrew guys, you know, duking it out and, and, and fighting, and he's thinking, Why, you're, you, guys, you, you guys should be on the same team. 
Why are you guys fighting? And they say to him, well, you're not going to kill us like you did the Egyptian yesterday, are you? Well, Moses, is, that frightens him because um, he, he didn't think anyone had seen what happened. And so now he knows the word is out and the word's going to get back to Pharaoh. And he's grew, he grew up in that. And so he knows what happens. And sure enough, word gets back to Pharaoh. And so now Pharaoh's chasing Moses to kill him. So Moses flees, and Moses doesn't just flee a little bit. Moses flees a lot. Like he goes 300 to 350 miles away, depending on the route that you take, to Midian. I mean, that's getting out of town now. And I don't know if he went on horseback. I'm thinking it's horseback, but I don't know. You know, I don't know if he went on donkey, but, you know, hey, it's Pharaoh's horses. Chasing my donkey. You know, I don't, I, don't, I don't see that going well. I definitely don't think it's camel because I don't think that's a real good, you know, getaway animal, you know, on the, on the camel. And so I'm thinking it's horse, but I don't know. Uh, I don't think he probably walked, but three, 300 miles now, that's, that's, a, that's a long, long ways. So he gets to Midian. He finds a well. He sits down at the well because he's just wore out. And uh, had to have thinking, I have no idea what's next. I have no idea what's coming. I, I have no idea what to do. I have no idea where I am. I have no idea what God wants to use me for. Well, he's sitting there, and uh, these seven girls come with all of their flocks to water their flocks. And so, they come and they start drawing water to water their flocks. And, uh, and then the other shepherds, the guys show up. And sh- sure enough, the guys start bullying the girls because the guys want to water their flocks before the girls get a chance to water their flocks. And they're bigger and stronger, so they're just going to bully their way in and water their flocks. Well, Moses stands up against them, disperses them, and then he draws water to help the girls water their flocks. And so then the girls, they get done early and uh, because Moses helps them, and it's kind of interesting. They get done early, which makes me, makes me believe that this wasn't the first time it happened. In fact, it probably happened a lot to where the girls just had to wait till the guys watered their flocks, and then they'd finally get to do theirs. Well, they showed up early, and their dad, who was the priest, um, his name was Jethro or Raul, um, he had a couple, couple names. And, uh, and so they tell him what happens. And uh, we catch it up in Exodus chapter 2. They said an Egyptian. Now, how, this is so interesting to me because Moses wasn't Egyptian. Moses was Hebrew. So why did they think that he was Egyptian? Because I would imagine he looked like an Egyptian, he talked like an Egyptian, and he He walked like an Egyptian. That's right. All of you 80s people, you're like, I'm going to watch the video. I actually had to go watch the video this last week just to, just to enjoy it once more time. The, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. It took me all week to get that, by the way. An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds, and they answered, and they, they, they answered their father, and he drew water for us and watered our flocks. So this guy just shows up, and you know, single guy, and 
He didn't take advantage of us. And, you know, the girl's father's response is classic. I mean, he's thinking, okay, so this random dude is at the well. It appears that he doesn't have family. It appears that he's a single guy. And he didn't take advantage of, of my girls. In fact, he served them, and he ran the other guys off. He, he appears to be a good guy. Like, where is he? Like, why did you leave him there? Do you know how many available bachelors there are around here? I mean, he had to have been thinking, and who aren't your cousins? I mean, there's like hardly nobody. Like, go find him. So they go find him, and he comes back and uh, sits down, has dinner, and then, you know, he has nowhere else to go, and so he, he ends up with a job with Jethro watching their flocks. He ends up marrying one of his daughters, so, you know, kudos to Jethro for going and finding this single guy, ends up marrying one of his daughters, and then for 40 years, he's in the shepherd business. 40 years, like that's a career, right? I mean, he's thinking retirement, things are set up good. This town has become my town. These people have become my people. Um, I, you know what? I, I have family here. I have extended family here. I have children here. I, I have everything set up here. I have my retirement here. Everything is all cush. Everything is all set up for the rest of my life. I don't you know what, I am not looking to go or do anything. Life is actually, you know what, the front end of my life threw some curveballs, but things have kind of ironed out, and you know what, I'm not looking for any more curveballs. <laughs> but God has unlikely responses to our likely protests, because God showed up while Moses is tending this flock a long ways from home, and he's tending this flock, and he sees this bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And, and so it's, you should read it for yourself. I mean, you should, you should open the Scripture and, and read this stuff, because I'm just telling you, um, you should read your Bibles. It's amazing. In fact, it does. The Scripture says that Moses bush and was amazed. In fact, I would have thought, it would have been like, now, I, I have no idea what this is like, but I would imagine it, it would have been like an opioid type of situation. He's like, like, whoa, I mean, that bush is lit, right? I mean, what in the world? This is like, it's on fire, and, and yet it's not being consumed, and I don't understand. And, and all of a sudden, a voice speaks out of the bush. I think I would have ran the other way as, as, as hard and as fast as I could have run, right? I mean, I'm, I'm out of here. But Moses has a conversation with God, and God tells Moses, I want you to come out of shepherding retirement, and now I want you to go shepherd some people. I want you to go talk to the elders of the Hebrew people, and I want you to tell them, hey, I know there's about a million of you, but um, uh, God's sending me to you to tell you that there's a really good land. I know you've never been to there, and I haven't been either, but I hear it's really good. God says it's really good, um, and God wants me to tell you, to tell your people, we're going to go over there, and I'll lead you over there, but before we go, God wants 
you elders and I to go talk to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, hey, let my people go, um, you know, the people that you're enslaving to make yourself rich. Now, if that was God talking to you in a bush, other than the fact that the bush wasn't consumed, would you say, yeah, sign me up for that? No, you would protest. In fact, you protest for things way less than that, right? So Moses protested because he's just an average dude. He's just an average guy. See, Moses protested to God, who am I? Who am I? You ever felt like God asked you to do something and you were like, well, who am I? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? I, I, I know how Pharaoh's household goes. I, who, who am I? I'm, I'm a nobody. Like, I, I don't have any power. I don't, I don't have any position there. Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? You got the wrong guy, God. That's stretching, no, that's not me. Well, God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. Now, what God says here, I'm thinking, man, if I was Moses, I'd be like, okay, well, that, you're going to have to come up with something a little bit bigger than that because I, you know, you know, here's the sign. When you have brought the people of Egypt out of, you know, the people of, uh, of Israel out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Okay, well, that seems a way out of the way on the way that we're supposed to go to where it is you want us to go. So, I, you know, um, that, that just seems like a strange sign. But okay, God, but I'm going to be with you. I'm never going to ask you to do something and then ask you to go do it all by yourself. I will be with you. See, the unlikely hero, I don't have any position. I don't have a title. I don't have any authority. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have that kind of position. I, I can't just walk in there and tell the elders, hey, this is what you should do. But see, knowing God is with me and knowing that God has called me calms me. Knowing that God is with you, knowing that God is with you, and knowing that God has called you should calm you. But Moses protested again, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what's his name? Does this God of yours even have a name? then what should I tell them? Yeah, we were told as little Hebrew boys about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but that's been hundreds and hundreds of years ago. God, what have you done for us lately? Because best I could tell, they're slaves. They're, you know, they're, they're slave status. They have no status in the world. It doesn't appear like you have done anything for them, and you want me to show up and say, hey, God, what's his name? I don't know. Do you have a name? W what are we supposed to call you? <laughs> God replied to Moses, I am who I am. 
Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. I am has sent me to you. But Moses protested again, what if? Oh, well now we've moved into what ifs. You ever felt like God wanted you to do something and you moved into what if? How much gets done? How many big things can get done in this world when we stay right here? I guarantee you, this is where big visions always die, and even little visions die right here. What if? I don't know. I don't know the what if. There's so many what ifs. We could go on forever about what ifs because the how, the how is always sketchy in a big vision. Like, I don't know how. We don't know the how. And since we don't know it, typically we just like, well, then we're not going to do it. And what if? I mean, this could happen and this could happen. I mean, there's a lot of things that could happen. And so what if sends me into fear mode and fear mode shuts me down and I don't go and I don't do what God has called me to do? What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? He never said anything to you. I mean, what if... What, what if, God, what, what if that happens? See, the unlikely here, he says, I, I, I don't have any power. I don't have any position. I don't have any power. I, I don't have any authority. But knowing the I am means that I can't use the excuse of who am I. Because it doesn't even really matter the answer of who am I. Why? Because you know the I am. And since you know the I am, then it doesn't even really matter who am I. He has sent you and he will do what he wants to do through you if you will be open and willing. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. I get, 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 I get tongue tied. I would imagine he probably did that. He probably did it on purpose, but the funny thing is God knew he did it on purpose. I get tongue-tied and my words get all tangled up. Like I, I just, I'm not really good with words. I don't have any position. I, you know, I don't, I don't have any power. I don't have any skills. I, I don't have the skill set for this. I don't have position. I don't have power. I don't, I don't have the right skills. But see, if God is not concerned with what I can't do, should we be concerned? If God's called you to it, then he's the one who will get you through it. See, I don't have the words. But Jesus says, my weakness is the best stage for God's strength. My weakness the things that I feel like, oh, and 
In my weakness, the what-ifs just overwhelm me. But when I push through and say, you know what, God, if you could, I'm just going to lay down what it is I have, and God, if you can use it, then use it. And I'll just get out of your way. That becomes a stage for God's strength. Well, God's getting a little bit, a little bit ticked off at this point. He's getting a little bit irritated with, with Moses because Moses just keeps bringing the protests. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Moses, who made your mouth? I'm guessing the answer's uh, you, Lord. Good answer, Moses. Who, who makes a person's mouth? Well, you do, God. Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? You do, God. And can I use someone who speaks or cannot speak? Yes. You can. So don't talk to me about, well, I'm not really too good. If I've called you to it, I will help you through it. Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear? Can God use them? Yes, absolutely. See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? And in my sovereign plan and in my sovereign will, I use people in all sorts of different circumstances to do extraordinary things. And when they step into that and are willing and don't use what they think is a weakness as an excuse, then the power of God is on display for the world. Now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, it's his last ditch effort, Lord, will you please send anyone else like, like anyone else but me, God. <laughs> now, did Moses finally say yes? Well, we know his name, don't we? Yes, he did. And as much as he protested on the front end, he was equally as good of a leader on the back end. Moses did not have the position he did not have the power. He did not have the skills. He did not have the words to be a hero. But none of that was an obstacle for God. None of it. He was simply willing. So my question to you this morning is, will you choose to be willing when God calls you to something, nudges you to something? See, if if you feel like an unlikely hero, you're more than likely someone God would choose to use. And if you're asking, well, Eric, I do want to be used by God. I, I, I still want to be used by God. But how do you know whether God's calling you to something or not? Like, yeah, I mean, this is easy. Like, if, if there was a bush on fire that didn't get consumed and all of a sudden there was a voice out of it, I would probably be like, okay, I feel called now. I mean, but that uh, hasn't happened to me, so 
How do you know if God is calling you? You know, um, God calls people in all kinds of different ways. There, there isn't a set path or formula of how God calls people. I know when God called me to be a pastor, I wasn't looking for it. In fact, I was in the middle of praying, asking God to bring someone else as a pastor. And while I'm praying, I feel like God was like, Eric, I want you to be the pastor. And I kind of had this Moses moment where I was like, okay, God, time out for just a second. Okay, so let me get this right. You want me to show up on Sunday and tell everyone, hey, guess what God told me this last week? Like, that's just weird, okay? So um, I don't think that's going to go very well. So you're going to have to have people just come and, and say, hey, you know what? Make it obvious that this is what, God's, you know, this is what you're calling me to. And, and he did. And, he, and then he didn't make it as obvious to my wife as he made it to me. And so we kind of had a moment of, well, maybe the, I didn't hear God right. But, uh, but then she wrestled with God for a couple of months and, and, you know, she came around. And, uh, and, and, and so, you know, that's how God called me. But here's what I would tell you. If you feel like God is calling you, God is nudging you towards something, and you just can't get it off your mind, like it, it bothers you, and, and it's on your mind all the time, and you just feel like, mm, I mean, God's just, then based on your temperament, um, here's what, what I typically do. Um, when I feel like God is calling me to do something or calling us as a church to do something, um, I assume, I, I, I walk like this. I assume the door is open and I'm going to continue to walk and I'm going to walk towards it and then I'm going to pray that God would shut it down if it's not something that he wants to have happen. So I don't, I rarely ever pray for open doors. I pray that God would shut them. Now based on your, that's my temperament though. So, you know, your temperament might be, hey God, would you open, open the doors um, and, and then I'll, I'll walk. But I would just, I would encourage you, if, if you feel that God's nudging you towards something, then walk towards that something. Because right now it's probably foggy, and right now there's probably a lot of what ifs, and right now there's probably I don't know how. And so as you walk towards it, then you will gain more and more and more clarity around it. So, um, crossing When we are willing to step in and allow God to work through our weaknesses and, and as weak as we are, even our best strength in God's eyes is super weak. But when we lay that down and we just say, God, if you can use this, then use it for your glory, then he shines. And honestly, that's the people of the heroes of the faith that we look at and we look back at and go, I want to be like that. But they were like that because they were willing. So I hope that you will be willing. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that uh, you call each one of us. And, and God, there's some fathers in this room right now. There's some husbands in this room right now. And God, they don't need to pray and ask if you have called them to love their wife. And you don't, they don't need to pray and ask if you have called them 
to be the spiritual leaders of their home. They don't even need to pray about it. You have called them to do that. So give them the courage to to step into that, to walk towards that, as frightening as that might be. Even though they may have never seen that growing up, they don't know what it looks like. I pray that you would help them to figure it out. And Father, if there's wives in this room watching, if there's mothers in this room watching, Father, you have called them to respect their husbands. You have called them, Father, to to step into this roles of of motherhood and and nurturing their children. Father, they don't even need to pray whether that's something you want them to do. That's what you want them to do. So I pray that they would embrace that calling and walk towards it. Father, as it comes to careers and other things that you have, you call us to that are sometimes we just don't know, pray that you would just help us to walk towards something and just be flexible to allow you to say, man, this isn't where you want me to go, close the door, but I'm going to keep walking. I'm not going to just stay and do nothing. Father, would you give us the courage to do that? As a church, may we be a church that continues to ask, what are you calling us to do next? What are you calling us to do next? Because we're not going to just be idle. So, Father, I pray that you would lead the way. In Jesus' name, amen.